Welcome to part two of Health System CIO's interview with Dr. Stephanie Lahr, CIO and CMIO at Regional Health. In this segment, why she believes operational engagement is critical to the success of any major initiative, the biggest benefit her team realized in contracting with a third party to provide at-the-elbow support, and why, given the chance to go back, she'd still opt for a big bang rollout. The following Health System CIO podcast is brought to you by LK, a nationwide leader in healthcare connectivity. Decommission your legacy systems with LK Archive. All systems, all data, one consolidated solution. Retain 100% of your legacy data at 20% of the cost with LK Archive. For more information, visit lk.com. That's E-L-L-K-A-Y dot com. I would imagine it's really important to have the right approach, especially when you're dealing with this type of change. Yeah, as a physician in a CIO role, it probably is easier for me because I came from operations into the IT side of things. But you, even still, you have to have a clear focus on the operational impacts of what it is you are giving to people. And mm-hmm. Even though I come from a clinical background and still have some limited clinical practice, operations that's doing that work every day, in and out, all day long, the emergency room physicians that are working in the emergency room, the surgeons in the OR, our clinic physicians, they're the ones who we really have to engage. Our front desk staff, our Mm -hmm. billing folks. Um, the nursing staff, both in clinics and in the hospitals, the best way to figure out how to build them what they need is to get their engagement and their participation. So I think that the key to the success of any rollout, EHR, or any other kind of technology is that the operational folks who need that technology are intimately involved in developing the strategy and testing out the workflows. And it's very easy not to do that. It's easy even with my background to have those things want to slip through the cracks or just not to take the time to do it because it is difficult to be able to get the time that's needed from those folks on the operational side to be able to sit down and and help guide us and create this roadmap, but it's imperative. Yeah, I can imagine. Did you have a good amount of interest as far as people who wanted to participate in these discussions kind of be engaged in the process? Yeah, we were really lucky in that the initiative to transition to a unified EHR, which ultimately was determined to be EPIC, was driven by an operational need sort of an mm-hmm. assessment that was done that said we we really have some gaps and we think that transitioning to a unified EHR is going to help us lay the foundation to start to address those gaps. It wasn't going to be the mm-hmm. solution, but it was necessary in order to start putting the right solutions in place. So from the very beginning, our operational folks, our physicians and our caregivers were very invested in the concept of making the change. It wasn't something where IT came out and said, hey, it's time to get a new EHR. It was very much um, the opposite of that, the the end user saying, we need something different. So Mm -hmm. from that perspective, it made it very easy then to continue that engagement. Um, We set up multiple governing committees with different sort of specialty focuses. 
I mentioned already the Physician Advisory Committee. We had a uh, nursing and ancillary services that had their own advisory committee and a financial and, and HIM team that had theirs as well as an overarching governance group. And then we've managed to maintain most of those in a sort of modified form since the time we went live. So um, we continue to have those stakeholders involved with us in ongoing decision-making. It, it is harder to right. continue to operationalize that after you know the big project is done, mm-hmm. but I think people have seen the value in it, and so they remain pretty committed to doing it. Right. And in terms of training and, and support, did you end up reaching out to a third party, or how, how did you handle that? Yeah, yeah, that was an important decision for us because since we were going live with Epic across our entire system at one time, across mm-hmm. several hundred miles, and really we're going to be, for all intents and purposes, novices in Epic. I mean, the reality mm-hmm. was we know a lot more about our system now a year after using it than even you know our analysts and those folks who had built the system knew at the time we went live. So we acknowledged that, A, we weren't going to be experts at the time we went live, and B, we didn't have an internal group to be able to, to utilize as subject matter experts. You know, for example, an organization that goes through a rolling go-live, that first go-live, mm-hmm. you can kind of limit the size and scope of it to an extent, and then you leverage those users as you move throughout right. the rest of your system to be the experts um, to help the rest of the system be successful in their go-lives. But since we were doing everyone all at once and it was going to be new for everyone, we really did make the decision that it was going to be necessary to work with um, a third party to help mm-hmm. in that go-live support process. It was also a goal of mine that from the moment we went live with Epic, that we would have 24-hour support available for our clinical end users. And mm-hmm. that was not something that was going to be manageable from the standpoint of you know, actual bodies employed by regional health available 24 hours a day. We're just not that big of a system to be able to accommodate yeah. that. So we also went out to look for a third party that could help us provide that 24-hour support availability. I've been an Epic user prior to coming to this organization, and I knew that, you know, the system is just, it's more complicated. There are more ways to do things, which is sometimes great, but sometimes Mm -hmm. means it's difficult to learn the new workflows and and you sort of run into stumbling blocks. And we needed our clinical folks to have the support any time, day or night that they might need with the system, even after the sort of initial go live was complete. So I had discussions with several different groups and we ultimately decided to work with Nuance to provide both our clinical service desk as well as our third party at the elbow support. Mm -hmm. It was honestly a relatively easy choice for me. We had just done a major upgrade to our front-end speech from their network edition to Dragon Medical One, and that had been successful, but it also um, had the added benefit then in utilizing their service desk as well as their at-the-elbow support staff that they were familiar and, and able to train Dragon as well. So we sort of combined all of those things at once. And when we went live, we had about 200 people physically here 
that we're doing at the elbow support coordinated all around our system, providing mm-hmm. uh, at the elbow support both in our clinic environments as well as in our hospitals, mostly to clinical staff, but also some of the other non-clinical folks, um, some of the billing and coding folks, but mostly mostly front desk and nursing and providers. And then at the same time, we turned on, so to speak, our clinical help desk. So if you didn't have somebody at the elbow immediately available or um, you didn't want to wait for the person maybe who was right in your area to be able to come work with you, you could call the clinical help desk and they could help either track problems, log problems, or assist you if it was a training issue. And that made, I think, all the difference in the success of our, of our go-live. Mm-hmm. One of the ways I measured that success was with one exception, um, I didn't have an analyst, an EPIC analyst, that had to leave the command center to go out and perform at the elbow support of any end user during the Mm -hmm. entire time that we had the command center open. The fabulous part about that is that meant they were in the command center actually fixing issues or making improvements to the system, and we had the other constellation of people who were at, at the elbow providing that support. Okay. That's definitely a, a positive. And given all of the challenges that you do have with the Big Bang, as you mentioned, not really being able to take advantage of users who have gotten used to the system somewhat, is it something that you would do again or overall was, was the right call? Absolutely. Yeah, it was definitely the right call. While we had to sort of infuse those additional resources um, to be able to provide the at the elbow support, we didn't have to go through any of the challenges of hybrid workflow. So from the very moment we went live, a patient that was in one of our smaller hospitals that needed to be transferred to our larger, more tertiary care hospital in Rapid City was able to do that leveraging the full sharing of information of the system. Same with our clinics, emergency rooms. We also, right out of the gate, um, were able to see some real benefits in sharing with the rest of the EPIC community where we had a patient, for example, that uh, came into one of our emergency rooms and had had multiple other emergency room visits over the preceding couple of weeks across the country. And Mm -hmm. we were able to access all of that information in that hospital for that patient, and it was able to change some of uh, the care that was provided, as well Mm -hmm. as mitigate the need for some unnecessary testing because the results were available to us. Those opportunities wouldn't have been there if we'd have started, for example, you know, in one hospital and then slowly rolled out over time. So I'm not saying that I think that there's not a a number where you might say a system is too big to do it all at once, but for a Mm -hmm. system of our size, it was it was perfect. Any of the heartache that was there because we were all learning at one time was completely outweighed by the benefits of the immediately shared information and the lack of hybrid workflows. Right. Now, do you still have the CMIO title, or how does that work? How's that structured? Yeah. So I came here as the CMIO uh, in Mm -hmm. April of 2016. And then during the process of our EHR unification project, the CIO that I worked for at the time, Dick Latucci, who had been here for 16, 17 years, had announced his impending retirement 
for a handful of months after we uh, went live with Epic. So after a number of different conversations and considerations of different ways to structure things, we decided that I would take on the CIO role, but keep the CMIO role in addition to that. So I um, am technically speaking the CIO and the CMIO um, and have been doing that almost exactly a year. January of 2018 was when um, I took on both of those roles. So it's definitely been a learning process. And, you know, I think there are some really great things about it. And there are some challenges in that combined relationship as well. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.